Thanks, our loving Father, that you do indeed speak to us by your scriptures. Thank you that by your spirit you have made the good news of Jesus plain to us. Please help us tonight to hear you speak clearly so that we might know the good news of Jesus, that we might speak it on campus this year. Amen. Here's a question. Who are we going to be in 2023? New year, new you. Uh, it's the, the nature of university that something like 25 to 30% of the people on the campus change each year. In this room, it's got to be about 50% of you are new, I reckon. So uh, um, we've got the chance as, as Christian fellowship, as uni church, to reinvent ourselves. Who are we going to be in 2023? Should we reinvent ourselves, I wonder? Even though this year the uni will be different again, people in Christian fellowship will be different again, still the good news of the Lord Jesus is the same as it always was. Because when the campus changes, the gospel stays the same. And uh, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is at the core of what we do at Christian fellowship and at uni church, our goal on campus every year is to be disciple-making disciples who know, live, and speak the gospel of Jesus. Followers of Jesus who know, live, and speak the good news. We're all about the gospel, and for good reason, the gospel is good news. We think it's good. But I wonder how well we know this good news. Oh, I don't, I don't know lots of you, I wonder... If uh, you had to put in one sentence, what is the good news of Jesus? Or what would you put in? What would you put in? Throw some things at me. What are some ingredients that need to go in our, our one sentence gospel summary? Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. That's a good one. Do you run out of pages for the stuff you could write? Well, that doesn't help, Johan. Come on. We've got we to gotta get the ingredients before we find the bowl big enough to put them in. Grace, that's a good one. What else? Eternal life. Eternal life, yes. What else? Salvation. There's salvation. That's very good. Love. Love, that's a good one. What else? Jesus died for sins. Prosperity. Prosperity. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, look, there are lots of things here. I think you're right, Johan. We need a bigger bowl to mix all of these ingredients together. Uh, This sentence is too long. In, in the scriptures, there are a number of short summaries of the gospel and uh, we are going to spend our time tonight in the short summary of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, last year at uh, Uni Church, we read all of 1 Corinthians chapter... We read all of 1 Corinthians together. So for some of you, this might be, uh, might be a bit, bit fre- a refresher, but we're coming at it with a different angle tonight. We're asking, what is the gospel of Jesus? that we want to know, live and speak. And here's my summary for tonight. The gospel is the good news that King Jesus brings people into his kingdom where he reigns in victory. And that is your outline as well. In your subject outline, you'll find an outline of the talk. It'll be on the screen. King Jesus brings people into his kingdom where he reigns in victory. So we start at point one, King Jesus. It is good news that Jesus is the king. In fact, I, th- I think the, uh, the shortest summary that I can find in the New Testament is in Romans chapter 10, where Paul says that to confess the gospel is to confess that, quote, Jesus is Lord, end quote. 
That's pretty good, isn't it? Three words. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. That's the heart of the gospel right there. It's a bit of a hard sell sometimes, though, isn't it? Because we don't tend to love kings very much. There was a Guardian poll recently that uh, found that while uh, Queen Elizabeth II, she had a popularity rating, or I should say 71% of Australians liked her. 71% of Australians liked her. Pretty good. It's pretty good. How many... How many, what percentage of Australians do you think like King Charles III? Fifteen. Fifteen? Oh, come on, that's rough. No, well, some other numbers. Ten. Ten, that's way worse. <laughs> no, this is not going well. It's, it's 44%. It's 44%. Clearly, he is more popular in Australia than he seems to be in this room. <laughs> wow. But 44%, well, I mean, 44%, he is, I can't do that maths, but he is not nearly as popular as his mother. So, uh, oh, do we, have a, do we have a king? It's not really a good time to talk about... Oh, there he is. Kings. How are we going to make kings popular again? Mm. Well, the first thing to say is that Jesus is a much better king than our earthly king. Jesus is God's long-promised, long-awaited, highly-anticipated Christ. That's the title Paul gives to Jesus in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15. See, see Paul is summarising the gospel for them in verse 3, and he calls him Christ. Verse 3, he says, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that who? Christ died for sins. Now, Christ is not a surname, it's a title. Uh, Jesus' parents aren't Mr. and Mrs. Christ. Christ is a title. And uh, it means someone who's been anointed as king. Queen Elizabeth II was anointed in a, in a private, non-televised part of her coronation. She was anointed. And uh, when, when Charles will be crowned soon, uh, he will be anointed, maybe televised. Very exciting. Keep an eye out for that. And when you anoint someone, do you know what you do? You, you pour oil on them. Mostly that would not be welcome, I imagine. But when you're anointing someone, it's a good thing. It's... Um, it's People have done it throughout all of history and it seems to mark God's presence with that person. Perhaps it marks something like holiness, that, that, that uh, um, they, this is God's chosen person. Whatever the case, God's, God's people had long hoped for the anointed one, a bit like kids desperately hope for Christmas morning. Or um, maybe if you're a farmer, you desperately hope for rain or for the rain to stop. Or you hope for a new boss. Or you hope for a good lecturer this year. Imagine that ache of having to wait for something good and you don't know yet if they're going to be good. Well, God's people feel that kind of of ache. They are living in their land, but they are essentially living under foreign rule. There are bigger and stronger armies around them to keep them under control. They are not politically autonomous in any way. And they are hoping desperately for a king to lead them to victory. No one's desperately hoping for King Charles III to appear and lead them to victory. But, uh, but let me show you a song from the first century and you can hear the tone of this. So uh, Ellen will show you. There it is. It's from the Psalms of Solomon. It's chapter 17. It's not in your Bible. It's from um, before the New Testament's written though. And describing their enemies, 
that first line, from their ruler and the lowest of the people, they were in every sin. These people suck. The king was in transgression of the law and the judge in disobedience and the people in sin. And so the psalmist hopes for for this king and he turns to ask God, see, O Lord, and raise up for them their king, the son of David, at the time which you choose, O God, to rule over Israel, your servant, and gird him with strength to shatter in pieces unrighteous rulers, to purify Jerusalem from nations that trample her down in destruction. And he shall gather a holy people whom he shall lead in righteousness. He shall judge peoples and nations in the wisdom of his righteousness. This is their desperate hope for this kind of king, a king to save them and lead them to victory. And the gospel is the announcement that this king is here and he is Jesus, King Jesus. But the gospel is not just about who Jesus is, it's also about what he has done. And this is point two. It's good news that Jesus is king. It's really good news that you and I can be a part of his kingdom. His kingdom is a great place to live. When you read the scriptures and you read about the kingdom of God, oh, it's lovely. It's a place of peace and flourishing. Um, Suffering has ended. It's a great place to live. And the good news of the gospel is that King Jesus brings you into his kingdom. Now, um, As the scriptures paint the picture, the big problem is that humans tend to want the crown for themselves. I'm sure you've felt this from a young age, that that feeling, you can't tell me what to do. My children have it, they're six and four, constantly. Uh, And look, who hasn't said that to their sibling or their parents? You can't tell me what to do. Now, it's, it's a bit of a risky move saying that to your parents. Because when you're young, well, they kind of can tell you what to do, can't they? Have you ever tried saying that to a police officer? No, you can't tell me what to do. Well, actually, they pretty much can. And disobeying a police officer who is giving you a a lawful directive is not going to go well for you. Imagine saying that to King Charles III. You can't tell me what to do. Well, actually, we live in a constitutional monarchy and he can't really tell us what to do. That's kind of how it works. But I think you get my point that if you live in a country but decide that you don't want to obey the rules of that country, then it makes it hard to live in that country and your actions will have consequences. It's impossible to live in God's kingdom when we don't accept the authority of the king. When you disobey God's laws, there are consequences. This is what the Bible calls sin. You and I sin all the time. And uh, there are some sins that we think, they're just misdemeanours, maybe I'll get a small fine. There are some sins we think are pretty bad and we think, well, I'll have to do something good to make up for that. And there are some sins that we think are unforgivable and we hope those people burn in hell. But the Bible prescribes one penalty for all sin and it is exile from the kingdom of life. Where there is no life, there is only death. But the good news is that Jesus makes a way into this kingdom of life. So we'll pick up verse 3, where we left at halfway through the verse, halfway through the sentence. Here's the important thing, that Christ 
died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Jesus Christ died. That's an easy one. We understand that. And he died for our sins. That's a weird thing. A bit hard to understand. But can you see that there is an exchange that has happened there? The penalty that is keeping us out of God's kingdom is paid by the king. He's paid our penalty. And he's definitely done it because he's definitely dead. Look at verse 4. And that he was buried. He's definitely dead. He's been buried. But a dead king is of no use to anyone. Uh, We have King Charles III because King Charles I lost his head and King Charles II is dead. They are no use to us. A dead king is of no use. So the good news is, the second half of verse 4, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's amazing. The resurrection of Jesus, it's such a big topic that in the middle of the year, we're going to spend mid-year conference a whole week on just the resurrection. Uh, Book it into your diaries last week of the mid-year break. Uh, But it's enough to say for now that uh, resurrection is central to the gospel. It's so central uh, that we'll look at verse 17. See the point that Paul makes in verse 17. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. What Paul means is that the resurrection of Jesus proves that you are no longer bound in the chains of your sins awaiting your punishment. No, in fact, by rising from the dead, Jesus shows you that your penalty is completely paid The sentence is finished and you may walk into the kingdom of life with the king. Do you get it? Do you get it? Your sins are resolved. They're not just ignored. That'd be unjust. And you'd always be wondering if they're going to come back to haunt you. But no, they are resolved. Past, present and future. And you are reconciled to the king. Maybe you find it hard to believe that someone has been raised from the dead. Well, so did the ancients, people in the ancient world, which is why the Apostle Paul gives us this list of eyewitnesses to the resurrection from verse 5. Look at verse 5. He appeared to Cephas, that's um, Peter, the Apostle Peter. Then he appeared to the twelve, to his apostles. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, Paul says, he also appeared to me. Jesus really died. Jesus really rose from the dead. And by doing so, he really opens the way into his kingdom. Jesus is a unique kind of king, isn't he? Part of why King Charles is popular only with 44% of Australians is. Well, I mean, he seems out of touch to a lot of us. He seems old-fashioned. And he doesn't really do anything for me. But Jesus is not out of touch because he knows what it is to suffer. He suffered as one of us in our place. And Jesus sacrifices himself for the good of his people. This is a good king, King Jesus. And I think that... If we're going to be speaking the gospel on campus this year, we're going to be speaking about how good Jesus is. This is a 
a positive thing. We are very fond of Jesus. We'll be able to say why Jesus is good. We'll be able to say why Jesus is worth following. We might be able to say how to do that. And we'll dig into Matthew's gospel to find out more about that starting next week. But we'll also be able to say that Jesus is not just good, but he is powerful as well. And this is point three. Our third point, that he reigns in victory. Jesus brings people into his king. King Jesus brings people into his kingdom where he reigns in victory. So Jesus is a, a good king, but he is also a triumphant, a victorious king. There are heaps of stories in the Old Testament about dodgy kings. And uh, the story that always sticks in my mind is the story of King Saul's demise. Uh, is this a king worth following? I'll, I'll read it to you. It'll go on the screen. From 1 Samuel 31, the Philistines fought against Israel and Israel's men fled from them and were killed on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines pursued Saul and his sons and killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab and Malchushua. When the battle intensified against Saul, the archers found him and severely wounded him. Then Saul said to his armour bearer, draw your sword and run me through with it. All these uncircumcised men will come and run me through and torture me. But his armour bearer would not do it because he was terrified. Then Saul took his sword and fell on it. When his armour bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his own sword and died with him. So on that day, Saul died together with his three sons, his armour bearer and all his men. This is a defeated king. Without power, without strength and terrified in the face of his enemies. Ah, but the Lord Jesus Christ, he is a victorious king full of power, full of strength, and supremely confident in the face of his enemies. In the last paragraph of our passage today, it describes the resurrected Jesus reigning in power. Look at verse 25. Verse 25, For he, Jesus, must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. And who is the greatest enemy? The enemy that got King Saul, even before the Philistines did, uh, verse 26, the last enemy to be abolished is death. This is amazing. King, death itself has no more power in God's kingdom. Look at verse 27, for God has put everything under his feet, under the feet of the Lord Jesus. King Jesus uses death as his footstool. And later in the chapter, Paul will say this, I think will be on the screen also. He will say in verse 54, uh, uh, the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel that we proclaim that King Jesus reigns in victory over all his enemies, even death. Imagine not having to fear Danger. Imagine not having to fear illness. Imagine being able to rest in the safety of the Lord Jesus who loves you, who died for you. Don't you want this? Is this the kingdom that you are living in? Come and live in this kingdom with us. This is the good news that we proclaim on campus together. We are disciple-making disciples who know, live and speak the gospel of Jesus. We know this gospel 
Let's live it and speak it loudly, clearly and constantly so that King Jesus may gladly welcome more and more people into his kingdom. Let's pray to our gracious King. Our loving Father, thank you for the good news of King Jesus who brings people into his kingdom where he reigns in victory. We ask that you would help us know this gospel, live this gospel and speak this gospel clearly this year for your great glory and honour. Amen. Amen. Well, it's our normal practice at UniChurch to uh, do a question time after the sermon. So uh, let's warm up for the year with some questions. The gospel is a big topic. There's a big bucket uh, full of ideas that go into it. So if you've got any questions, what you can do is stick your hand up and ask. Or if you'd like to save a question to a later, come and catch me as we have some supper together. Any questions? Not a single R. Noah. Uh, hopefully a quick one. Why do they call Peter Cephas? Why do they call Peter Cephas? Yeah. Uh, because they're multilingual and that's his name in a different language. That's an easy one, thank you. Any other questions? Felicity. I'm pretty sure I asked this last time, but I can't find the answer. But why does Paul call himself abnormal? Why does Paul call himself abnormal? <laughs> this is verse 8, is it? Uh, yeah. Last of all, as to one abnormally born. Yeah. My translation has it, as to one born at the wrong time. Uh, he's talking about uh, born, being born out of place. Uh, um, he uses like the word for an ectopic pregnancy. And uh, I think what he means is that he's kind of late to the party. He, he, if, uh, if you uh, read the book of Acts, you'll find that there are people following Jesus, but Paul opposes them. And uh, only when he meets the risen Jesus does, does he start following Jesus. I think that's what he means, that he's, he's late to the party. <laughs> 